we are at the end, at the tail end, of one of the most tumultuous and unpredictable <laughs> years in American history. Um, and, uh, you know, who would have guessed uh, before this year began that uh, um, come September things would have gone the way they did? Um, and uh, it's interesting, if you go on the Internet now and plug in the search term predictions for, th for 2002, you just get page after page after page of people who've already made their predictions about what's going to happen next year. Of course, you know, in the big things, nobody's going to get them right. Um, but it's, it's fascinating how, how interested in the future people are. And, and have you ever thought about this, about, you know, about how interested they are and why they're that way? And, and you know, you can imagine um, why people get so, oh, I wish I could know. You know, like I think of, uh, uh, I was thinking about, like, Adam yesterday. You know, here's a guy who's in, in the end of his high school. He's a senior in high school. And, and, you know, you can imagine he'd be tempted to think, boy, if I could just see down the road about what my career is going to be like, where I'm going to go to college, and who I'm going to marry and all that stuff, you know. And, and there's a great interest in that sort of thing. Or so somebody, let's say, who's decided to go into business or is thinking about business. And, and they have some real things at risk here. And, boy, wouldn't it be nice if they could see into the future and, uh, you know, find how's that going to turn out, you know, is it going to bomb or am I going to make it? Um, you know, or somebody who's, uh, you know, thinking about their career or about, worried about their future health situation, you know, like Brad could have foreseen that he was going to blow out his knee yesterday trying to take out Jonathan in basketball, and, you know, he'd have stayed home, I mean, stayed inside, and, and uh, you know, people have this deep desire um, to know what's going to happen, and probably some of you, you know, at those times, wish, boy, if I could just sort of peek open the door and, and grab a look, you know. Um, you know, and that's just not the way things are, but, but we have this deep desire to, to know those things. And, and I think that part of the reason for that, beyond just simply the logical, well, you know, it'd be kind of cool to know or whatever, or I wouldn't have to invest that money if I knew I was going to lose it all in the dot-com crash. Um, part of the reason for that, I think, is, uh, comes out of the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, in chapter 3, verse uh, 10 and 11, uh, Solomon writes, I've seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. And I, and I think that part of what this passage is talking about, or part of the implication of this passage, is that because God's put eternity in our hearts, we have a future orientation. We have this sense that yeah, it stretches out, and we're interested in where it goes, and, and yet we aren't going to be able to know that. Um, and so we struggle, and, and we have this deep desire that, that it's deeply there, but, uh, but it's frustrated. And I think that uh, there's a group of people that, uh, um, that you're all familiar with that try to take advantage of these great desires on the part of people, and they're called astrologers. Um, and in fact, uh, when I was younger, I had some relatives that were really into this thing, even though, you know, it's kind of crazy. But, uh, you know, what they're feeding off of is uncertainty and tension that we have in our lives. And uh, it's interesting, uh, America is becoming actually every decade or so a little more interested in astrology. There's a Gallup poll that was taken, um, that came out this last June. Um, talking about America's interest in the occult, astrology, paranormal, things like that. 
And uh, the numbers on almost all these things are up, uh, except for devil possession. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> that we believe less in the possibility of being possessed by the devil, but we believe more in the possibility of channeling and all this other crazy stuff. And, and probably it makes a lot of sense. Um, but uh, when it comes to uh, astrology, uh, the idea that stars and planets, you know, that you can read how that affects your life and that sort of thing, um, and predict your future off of it. Uh, uh, in 1991, or 1990 actually, 25% of the American people, according to Gallup poll, uh, believe there's something to that, and now it's up to 28%, so it's slightly moving up. Now, when it comes to clairvoyance, uh, the idea that the uh, mind can know the past and predict the future, um, that's gone up from 26% of the American population to 32%, a six-point jump in a decade. Um, and so, interestingly enough, it seems that the, our country is sort of beginning to, sh- not sort of, but, but is, you know, uh, consistently shifting uh, towards the direction of, of uh, this sort of divination stuff, which, by the way, the Bible speaks clearly against in a number of places, um, but we won't go into that. But uh, one of the signs of this interest in the future um, on, the federal, on the level of the uh, federal government is that there was a school um, at the end of August this last year outside of Phoenix, Arizona in Scottsdale, um, a school of astrology that was approved by a federal accrediting body so that now their students can get federal loans um, to go to an astrology school. Um, what they've done is they've coupled a couple psychology classes in with it. And, and if you're not familiar with what's happened in the field of astrology, I call it a field, but it's not really that, um, is that over the years, astrology has shifted, probably even in our lifetimes, from it used to be a situation where um, astrologers would try to look at these, you know, the places of the sun, moon, and stars, and they would say, by, by where these things are located, we can tell you what the future is going to be, that everything was fixed, uh, sort of a, an idea of fate and that sort of thing. But now, uh, as a result of psychology influence and new age influences, it's gone to more of a... Um, almost a you can control your destiny more. And, and, you know, these are trends, but it's not guaranteed and that sort of thing. Um, anyway, so uh, we now have our first official accredited school of astrology. Um, in fact, it, in, in France this, this, la- this year, um, the Sorbonne, the uh, most famous school there, actually awarded a doctorate to an astrologer. Uh, she wrote a dissertat- doctoral dissertation defending astrology. And, um, and they gave it to her. Uh, so there's a big uproar over that. But you can see where things are sh- shifting that direction. And, and these people are taking advantage, basically, of this great desire that human beings have to know what the future holds for them. Um, and, you know, some of you have had temptations that direction. And, and so as we f- move into this new year, um, what I'd like to do is to uh, chat about that whole issue. Uh, about the future and, and our anxiety about it and, and, uh, and some things to think about. Um, and the first thing I want to mention um, is that we should come to grips uh, with the fact that we're not going to be able to know the future uh, as far as our particulars, you know, in terms of job and marriage and that sort of thing. Certainly, certainly we know about, you know, the little, you know, what God has revealed to us about the future, you know, predictive prophecy, other things like that. Um, as Deuteronomy says, you know, the secret things belong to God, uh, but the re- things revealed belong to us and our kids. Um, and so there are certain things that we can know about the future. But 
you know, in terms of whether Sam's going to get, uh, you know, first violin chair when he's 13 year old in the Topeka Sympathy, a sympathy? Um, maybe he needs some sympathy. Uh, symphony orchestra, things like that, you know, you're not going to do it. In fact, it's interesting. This is one of the interesting themes of the book of Ecclesiastes. And let me read to you just some passages uh, that deal with this out of Ecclesiastes. First couple, um, Ecclesiastes 3.22 says, So I saw that there was nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Uh, the same thing is repeated in Ecclesiastes 6.12, talking about people who can tell him what will happen under the sun after he is gone. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. This comes out in the business world a lot, where people get to the top of their profession or, their, or they build a company, and then there's this intense desire to know what's going to happen. Um, in fact, there's a, the uh, December 24th issue of Forbes magazine talking about a, uh, a country, a country, a company uh, called Emerson Electric, which has been, over the years, one of the most successful utilities in terms of consistent profits. Um, there's this guy named Chuck Knight who has been the head of that thing and, uh, and now just recently passed off the baton. And, uh, and then in this side box in this article it says, Don't wreck my edifice. Chuck Knight worked at Emerson Electric for 28 years and ran it for 27. To produce an extraordinary string of earnings gains, he constructed a financial planning system that's made surprises just about impossible. Who was worthy to be Knight's successor? Would that person undo his accomplishments? Knight agonized. Um, and then uh, he ran a competition among the insiders. Um, if the Emerson foot race involved eight candidates watched over for four years by a St. Louis psychologist and two consulting firms. This guy was so worried about how things are going to happen after he gets done that he hires two consulting firms and a psychologist to, to watch these guys for eight years. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Four years. Um, and in um, the caption that, with the picture of him there, it says, "What the legendary Chuck Knight wants to know now: Will his system survive?" And uh, you know, we could have saved him a lot of time and money. Um, I mean, it makes sense to try to evaluate, but you know, this looks a little bit overboard. But you can, you know, people want to know this. But the reality is, is that you can't know what's going to happen afterwards. Um, Interesting, in Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 7, uh, verse 14, it says, When times are good, be, ha be happy. When times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. Or chapter 8, verse 7, Since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? You're just not going to know. This is the way that the world is built. And yet, it's interesting how people try to run up against that. For instance, uh, back to the astrologers. Um, there's this magazine called the Skeptical Inquirer. It's actually an atheistic magazine. And we get lumped in with all sorts of uh, wacky stuff. Um, but every year, what they do is there's this guy named Gene Emery who writes this big article about how psychic predictions for the year have not come true. Um, you know, because all these psychics go out and make these predictions. Um, and the latest one, that's, they haven't done their one for this year yet, but uh, the one for 1999, uh, here's some of the things that uh, he talks about in that article that uh, psychics said would happen. Um, a pollution cloud would force New York City to be quarantined. Winona Judd would quit country music to become a woman's wrestler. Um, <laughs> Mar here's this. this is the best one, probably. 
marijuana would replace petroleum as the nation's chief source of energy. Um, the cast of 60 Minutes 2 would be replaced by Candace Bergen, Mary Tyler Moore, and Margot Kidder. Uh, Statue of Liberty would lose both arms in a terrorist incident. Um, let's see, uh, and O.J. Simpson would confess to Howard Stern on the air that he killed his ex-wife. Um, anyway, uh, you can tell that uh, a lot of this stuff is just, you know, they're just, they're just reaching. Uh, but people are so interested in the future that they buy into this stuff, but you can't know it. Um, and this is the way that God has made it. Um, in, in chapter 9, verse 1, uh, he says, So I reflected on this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. Um, this is interesting. The other night I was um, doing a little channel surfing and came across uh, Entertainment Tonight uh, doing this little segment on celebrity divorces this past year. Um, and they just, you know, they just kept going about, you know, these guys fell in love and, you know, la la, it's forever and then boom, you know. Just, just a few months later in most cases, you know, the thing was over. Um, and so these people think that they, you know, know what's going to happen and they know this is love forever type of thing. Um, and yet, uh, you know, nobody knows that sort of thing. Um, and then I think the capper in this is uh, Ecclesiastes 9.12 says, Forever no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. I mean, think of the 9-11 people who trapped in the World Trade Center. I mean, that's real literal, falling unexpectedly upon them. Nobody knew when they got up that morning and headed for work that uh, this stuff's coming their way. Um, and that's the way God set up the world, is that uh, you just aren't going to know. Um, and so it's interesting, though, have you ever thought about uh, what we do when we fail to really come to grips with that, when we're unwilling to recognize that, uh, you know, we're just not going to know what's going to happen to us this coming year. And it seems like uh, at least, there's at least two things that we do, uh, two wrong turns that we make uh, when, we, when we refuse to face this. Um, and the first one is, is that we worry. Um, that we, uh, you know, when we think about, well, you know, I've got all this money that I want to invest and, and I'm not sure if it's the right thing or, or I'm, I, I'm anxious about, you know, who am I going to marry in life or... Or I'm worried about how are people going to respond to me in this new job or things like that. Um, you know, we get anxious about these things. And, and it really is a wrong turn. And so I'd like to take just a minute right now for you to do an anxiety inventory. Um, this is actually helpful. And if you're like me, you find yourself doing these every once in a while because you wait a minute, I'm really anxious about some things and I have this vague generalized sense. So just take one minute, close your eyes, and say, okay, Lord, can you help me think through what are exactly the things I'm, I'm anxious about most often in life right now? like me, it doesn't take long. Um, 
So now that you're sufficiently anxious, um, let me read to you a passage that you should hold dear this next year uh, as you go through these anxieties. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. <coughs> Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Boy, isn't that the truth? Um, you got to break it, you know? I mean, you know, we're always going to be troubled by this, but... Uh, you know, if this coming year, as you become anxious about the future, which, you know, we all go through it at various points, uh, if you can remember um, that you shouldn't be worrying about that, uh, and go to this passage. I encourage you to go here repeatedly. Um, and I think there's a real sense here in which God is calling all of us to, uh, to trust in Him. Um, because, you know, we all get afraid. Um, there's a Psalm 56 that's wonderful for this uh, where the psalmist writes when I am afraid I will trust in you in God whose word I praise in God I trust I will not be afraid what can mortal man do to me you know there is a connection uh, between fear and anxiety you're afraid of the future you're worried you're scared about what in the world is going to happen here you become anxious. And um, the way to handle that is to put your trust completely in God. When you get afraid about, you know, what in the world's going to happen with my career, um, all these sort of things, when am I going to come up with the money to pay for these things? Uh, you need to go to God. Um, the second wrong turn that I think we take, strangely enough, it often, we often do these things simultaneously. We can be anxious about... Uh, you know, this future and about all these things. And at the same time, we can take the wrong turn of boasting about the future. And I know that sounds weird, but, you know, if you think about people who aren't willing to face it, that you're not going to know the future, um, that they don't have that firmly in, in hand, um, they're often tempted then to make boasts about it. And I know it's really weird, and then the idea that we can do those things simultaneously, but we do. Um, and I think, again, some of the same things apply. Um, James chapter 4, uh, he writes, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, 
spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this. I'm sorry, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Um, then Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. You know, we all have these desires and plans, all these things we want to do in life. And uh, oftentimes, instead of saying, okay, this is in God's hands, and I don't know what's going to happen with this, you know, we get out there and say, yeah, we're going to do this thing. Um, and if you're like me, there have been so many times where, you know, you're saying, well, I wish I'd never opened my mouth. Um, there is now a uh, famous case of that in the last uh, few weeks. Um, even though this guy is the cover story because of uh, um, this cool company he's done, uh, this guy's named Chuck Watson. And the cover story is Dynagy's Dynamo. He's the head of this uh, energy company called Dynagy. And you've probably heard of the Enron scandal. In fact, uh, Bush just said in the last day or two that he thinks it needs to be investigated and it's becoming a very big thing. Um, anyway, uh, classic case. Here's this Chuck Watson guy. Um, notice it says power player and everybody around the country you know, who's in business think, wow. But uh, uh, he's got a classic case of this. So let me read this to you. On a cool day in Houston early last month, Dynagy chief Charles Watson announced the boldest deal of his career. In 15 years, he had built the natural gas producer into a powerhouse, but he chafed in the shadow of his far bigger hometown rival, Enron Corporation, and its chairman, the silver-tongued Kenneth Lay. Lay's swagger personified the sweeps... Try that again. The freewheeling energy trading markets and Enron dominated the action. But now the Titan was reeling from allegations of dirty self dealing, a raft of sudden resignations, and an SEC investigation. Valued at $70 billion only months before, Enron was teetering on the brink of collapse. So Chuck Watson declared he would rescue his rival at an especially sweet price, just $9 billion in Dynagy stock. Watson was sure the skeptics on Enron were wrong and that with a few problems solved, Enron was still a rock-solid money machine. Its revenue grew 57% in the third quarter to $47 billion, more than one and a half times what Dynagy generated in all of 2000. For a fire sale price, he boasted, Dynagy would suddenly expand sixfold into a $200 billion a year giant with $90 billion in assets. The supercharged firm would handle as much as one quarter of U.S. energy trading. After operating in obscurity for years, Dynagy suddenly would become the second largest corporation in America in sales. A world-class energy merchant by anyone's definition, Watson proclaimed. Two weeks later, Watson's triumph ended in epic failure as Dynagy collapsed, I'm sorry, not Dynagy, Enron collapsed, and he had to withdraw from the deal and got himself sued and made it big time. Anyway, it's a classic case that it happens all the time, is that uh, we have these things we want to do in the future, and then we begin to, re we forget that, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in the future, and you forget that you're in God's hands, and that it's not for you to manipulate this thing. And, uh, 
And so we say these things. We take a wrong turn. And we boast about what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, we often get egg on our face, like Chuck, Chuck Watson here. Um, <clears throat> and I think instead, the same, the same solution um, as to the first wrong turn applies to the second. That we need to put our trust firmly in God. It's a great passage of Psalm 44, um, beginning in verse 6. He says, I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long. And we will praise your name forever. And see, I think that's the key, is that that you need to center yourself directly in God and make your boast there. Because that will keep you from making this wrong turn into boasting about what you're going to do and these accomplishments that uh, you're going to be embarrassed about later. Um... And I think that uh, one of the things to understand is that both of these wrong, term, wrong turns disrupt your relationship with God. Um, and it takes, causes you to take your eyes off him. And, you know, I think that, uh, strangely enough, we probably could all use a dose of something that Joel is going through right now. Uh, it's called stranger anxiety. <laughs> um, Lisa was at a... Uh, a reception yesterday for uh, um, her brother and sister-in-law and it lasted a couple hours and she's there the whole time and Joel is at a point right now where with a lot of people he doesn't know he didn't want to go to them and so she ended up having to hold him the whole two hours and her arms are dying afterwards Um, but you know what Joel is exhibiting is that uh, he has his eyes firmly focused on Lisa Um, and he is you know nestling and resting and even though, you know, we don't want to act like that in real life, you know, you can imagine if uh, Stan, you know, couldn't go to work, you know, unless he dragged Teresa along. Um, but uh, that would actually rather be interesting. Um, wouldn't it be funny if all of us, you know, guys couldn't make it to work unless we pulled our wives in with it. Um, but uh, um, in the same way that Joel's focused, um, we need to be focused on God. And uh, we need to say, okay, you know, you are where I'm centering my trust. And, I, and this year, I'm totally putting myself in your hands. Um, and I think that's what you ought to consider. Or what, as you consider this coming year, and if you make resolutions, or if you say, well, you know, I want to change directions in some ways. One of the things I'd encourage you to do is, is to talk to the Lord about, you know, this year, wouldn't it be great, Lord, if this could be a year where where I put my trust in you. Uh, let me just read to you some passages. Um, Psalm, chapter, Psalm 143, verse 8 says, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Or the famous passage in Proverbs chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You know, we all need guidance this year. And, and you know, the uncertainty about what's going to happen is a great form of uh, cause of anxiety. And so one of the things you need to do is you need to put your trust in God to give you guidance and to make your path straight and to guide your steps. Um, I think also that one of the things about focusing on the Lord is that the result is uh, peace and joy. 
And you know, we would all like to sort of lower our anxiety and stress this year. Let me read to you a couple passages connected with that. In Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah writes, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. Uh, Verse 4, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord the Lord is the rock eternal. And in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we make this turn out of this strange and wild and crazy year into another year that, who knows, may be just as strange and wild and crazy, and as you begin to feel anxiety about that and as you think of your future, let me encourage you um, to talk to God, to say, Lord, you know, this year I'd like to be different. Uh, I would like this year to be a time when, when I firmly put my trust in you. Um, so here's what I'd like to do. is uh, Take just a couple minutes. Uh, and I'll sit here and, and do the same and talk to the Lord about this coming year. And, and discuss this issue of your trust with him. Um, and talk to him about your desire to, uh, to really make this a year where you're nestling, where you're trusting. Then I'll close with some prayer. Father, we, we first ask for forgiveness for all the times that we've taken the wrong turns and, and we've either gotten anxious and afraid and not trusted you and, or boasted about our future. And, and we uh, look back with those times with uh, sadness and regret and, and we'd sure like grow and to learn how to trust you more so we ask for this coming year that you would give us grace to to nestle in you to uh, be like little children um, who are focused on their mom we pray father that you would help us to resist temptations to go the wrong way in this and then instead when we get to the end of this year, that we could recognize that uh, you've greatly helped us to uh, put our trust in you this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm